again, good to see everyone this morning. We are so very grateful that we can come together and worship God on this first day of the week. I want to talk this morning a little bit about heaven. We've been looking on our Sunday morning Bible class about preparing for death, and we've been talking a lot about uh, heaven and the life that awaits us in eternity. And I wanted to just take a moment this morning and talk a little bit about about heaven. I want to just approach it a little bit differently. Um, You know, heaven for those of of the ancient world, for the patriarchs and for the children of Israel, heaven was was an idea that was out there and, and they had some kind of understanding of it. But it really wasn't until our Lord came along and through his teaching and through the apostles and, and through the writers of the New Testament that the full expression of heaven was given to us, at least as far as we can understand it in our human minds. And so what was it about those, those people of old that that encouraged them to be faithful to God. You know, we, we've talked a lot about, you know, we're faithful to God for one of the reasons is that we want to go to heaven. We've been shown and told about uh, the, the beautiful uh, place that it is and the, and, the, and the life that we will live there. But, but those people of old weren't told all the details that we have. So what was it that motivated them? And how is it that, um, that they were able to, be faithful to God in a, in a little bit different um, times and a little bit different auspices. So let's take a look at that. Let's lift up your eyes to heaven. I, we want to start by looking and seeing this distant promise um, that began this journey um, to heaven. Go with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 12. We've been talking um, so well in our Bible class um, about the very beginning and how that state that Adam and Eve were there with God and that beautiful state that that God had created for them in which he dwelt with them and how all that was was shattered when Adam and Eve sinned. And so the rest of uh, scriptures tell us about uh, how God redeemed uh, man back to himself. And part of that promise comes through this promise that was made to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, beginning of verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So here we have the, the beginnings of uh, this, uh, this promise of how God is going to bless everyone and how God is going to redeem all of mankind back to himself. And it starts right here with this promise to Abraham. He told Abraham, I'm going to give you a, a, a great land. I'm going to make from you a great nation. And also from you is going to come the blessings of all the nations. From your seed, uh, I'm going to bless all of mankind. From your lineage, um, all mankind will be blessed. And we know that how that all plays out, that through these lineages, um, the Messiah comes. 
and that is Jesus Christ. And he comes, and he is born of a woman in this world, and he's and he is uh, on this world for a time, and then he is crucified and resurrected and on the third day. And through that, we have redemption of our sins. But it begins here with this, uh, this idea uh, of, through your seed, all families, or in you, all families of the earth shall be blessed. So it's very far out from... Uh, the time that God gives this promise to Abraham until uh, the Lord comes on the scene. But this is the, the beginnings of it. Um, and so, as I mentioned in the introduction, how, what did they know of, of, of a life eternal? Well, we look at passages like in Job, and if you will, go with me to Job chapter 14. Um, and, and see how, how men were questioning what exactly happens when we die. Now, Job, it seems that it's hard to pinpoint when it was written, but the time period in which it is uh, uh, demonstrating or, or depicting is a time during the patriarchal law, so sometime somewhere along with the, he was a contemporary with Abraham, or at least somewhere in those, in those times before the law of Moses. So here's Job, and this we know the story of Job well, and how it, everything was taken from him, but he, he maintained his faith. But Job questioned these kinds of things. In Job chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, it says, Man is born of woman, is few of days, and full of trouble. He comes forth like a flower and fades away. He flees, uh, flees like a shadow and does not continue. And do you not open your eyes on such a one and bring me to judgment with yourself? Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? No one. Since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you. You have appointed his limits so that he cannot pass. Look away from him that he may rest till, he, till like a hired man he finishes his day. Now look what he says here beginning verse 7. He says, For there is hope for a tree, if it is cut down, that it will sprout again and that its tender shoots will not cease. Though its roots may grow old in the earth, and its stump may die in the ground, yet at the scent of water it will bud and bring forth branches like a plant. But man dies and is laid away. Indeed, he breathes his last, and where is he? As water disappears from the sea, and a river becomes parched and dries up, so man lies down and does not rise till the heavens are no more. They will not awake, nor be roused from their sleep. You know, Job is saying, even a, a tree that's cut down, you know, it'll still sprout. As long as there's enough water and nutrients within the, the trunk of the tree, it sprouts for a time. And, it, and the stump, even if it's cut off, if there's some water introduced to it, it'll sprout again. But what about man? He says, when man lies down, that's it. There's nothing else for him. Look at verse 13. It says, Oh, that you would hide me in the grave, that you would conceal me until your wrath is past, that you would appoint me a set time and remember me. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my hard service I will wait till my change comes. You shall call and I will answer you. You shall desire the work of your hands, for now you number my steps, but do not watch over my sin. My transgression is sealed up in a bag and you cover my iniquity. You know, Job is questioning, is there, is there life for a man after death? 
And he sort of hints at, maybe he thinks so. You know, if a man shall die, shall he live again? He says, you shall call and I will answer, verse 15. You know, so Job has those inklings of a life after death, just like he can see the tree that sprouts after it's been cut down. He wonders, is there, is there life for, for me after I die? Comes a little bit more into focus. We look in uh, passages like Psalm 16. Go there with me. Psalm 16. As David is considering these kinds of questions, he, he pins this psalm. He says, Preserve me, O God, verse 1, Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in thee. I said to the Lord, Thou art my Lord, I have no good besides thee. As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied. I shall not pour out their libations of blood, nor shall I take their names upon my lips. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance, and my cup thou dost support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my, indeed my heritage is beautiful to me. I will bless the Lord who has counsel for me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the might. I have set the Lord continually before me because he is my, at my right hand and I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh will also dwell securely. For thou wilt not abandon my soul to Sheol, neither wilt thou allow thy Holy One to undergo decay. Thou wilt make known to me the path of life in the presence of the fullness of joy. In thy right hand there are pleasures forever. Now that verse 10 might sound familiar to us. You know, that's the, the, the verse there that, that Peter quotes there in Acts chapter 2 on, on the day of Pentecost, where he stands up to give that, that first sermon. And he, he quotes from this to show that, that God has indeed raised Jesus from the dead. That he did not allow his soul to, to experience decay. That he brought him up out of Sheol. Didn't abandon him there. So David here is, is recognizing that there is that, that hope of a resurrection. That we won't be left there in the realm of the dead forever. So it's coming more and more into focus. This idea of, of, of the life hereafter and, and what that means. Especially to those who are faithful to God. And so, as all this is, is being said, and as we're pondering this, the Hebrew writer helps us to understand this a little bit more. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 11. In chapter 11, we call this often the, the chapter on faith, and we see how the Hebrew writer, writer tells us about the faith that these men and women had in different ways and different times. And he's just come out of talking about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and even Sarah and the promise that was given to Abraham but yet they were living in tents it says there in verse 9 he lived as an alien in the land of promise in a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob fellow heirs of the same promise so while the promise had been given to to Abraham there's not the clear understanding as we can well know and understand of what that really meant all the way down to the, the fullness of time when Jesus came on the scene. So the Hebrew writer tells us this in verse 13 beginning. He said, all these died in faith, 
without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. You see, they, they, they saw the, or they, they, they heard the promise that God had, give them, had given to, to Abraham and to his descendants, but they only saw them from afar off. They didn't enter into that land. They weren't themselves made into that great nation. They themselves, of course, didn't see uh, the Messiah. They saw it from a distance. Verse 14 says, For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of what country in which they, came, they went out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You know, the, the, the idea expressed here that as they called Abraham, what we read there in Genesis 12, called Abraham out of his land, his homeland, to leave his family and to leave that, his home and to go to a different place. We see that, that Abraham was not looking back. He was looking ahead to that place where God had promised to him. And even though it was a far off place, at least as, as the, the, the promise would come through, he still welcomed it. He was still looking for that city. He was looking for the promises that God had set before him. And even though he didn't realize it, his faith was still there. His faith didn't waver. So for these, we can look and see that that distant promise that God had given them, they were okay with that. They were still faithful to God, even though they didn't realize what uh, the full expression of these promises really meant. They were faithful to him anyway. And they sought after him. And they were looking for that city that was to come. Even though it was so far out in the distance. But for us, uh, it's a little bit nearer to us. Things are a little bit closer. So when our Lord is walking the earth in the time of the New Testament is records for us, um, the, the, the kingdom was close by. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Look in uh, Luke chapter 4 with me. In Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse uh, 14, I love this passage. Um, I think that it, it, from a literary sense and from uh, historical and, and prophetic and realization, it, it's hard to get much better than this. Picture the scene here. Luke chapter 4, beginning verse 14, says, And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. This is just after he has been tempted by uh, Satan in the wilderness. And, he, and news about him spread through the surrounding district. And he began teaching in the synagogues and was praised by all. So here's Jesus. He begins his ministry. He begins teaching in the synagogues. And those, that's where the Jews were. That's where the people who would have known about him should be. Verse 16, he says, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written. Now, again, th just picture the scene. Jesus is there in the synagogue, and he stands up to read, and they hand him the book of Isaiah. And, and remember who Jesus is. Jesus is the Word of God. 
The Word of God is now being handed the Word of God to read from. And look what he chose to read. Verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he appointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recover the sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. So the prophecy of whom this was written is now reading it. He is the one who has been spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. Here he is holding the word of God, speaking the prophecy about himself. Verse 20 says, And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Isn't that amazing? That the word of God was handed to the word of God, and he turned to the place of the prophecy that was spoken about him, and now he's reading it, and he read it, and then he sat down, and he said, I'm the one that was speaking of. So now things are becoming all the more clear. Over in Matthew 4, uh, in verse 17, this is around about the same time chronologically, as Matthew is recording that Jesus is beginning his mystery, verse 17, he says, From that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Jesus is, and coincidentally, or not so coincidentally, John the Baptist, when he began his ministry, remember what the message was that he was telling everyone? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so here's our Lord, and he's bringing this all the more near to everyone, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. But the idea of the kingdom of heaven is getting more and more into focus, more and more real. Look over in uh, Luke chapter 10. Uh, Luke chapter 10. There's the event here of the, the 70 of his disciples that are sent out. Um, Chapter 10 of Luke, verse 1, After this the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he says there in verse 2, The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the, of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he tells them to, to go out and he tells them not to carry anything with them, but to, to live off of what uh, the people would give them because of the message that they were bringing. Um, verse 8 says, Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you and heal those who are sick and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. Getting closer and closer. Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. Here he sends out the, these 70 disciples and the message is that the kingdom of God has come near to you. To these people and to their households in which they were going. That was the message to them. Verse 10, it says, But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into its street and say, Even the dust of your city which clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet, be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. Now, you may not receive it. You may not heed the, the, the message that we are bringing to you. But be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near to you. 
more and more into focus, letting us know more and more about this eternity and about what God has given to us. Paul goes on to tell us how it's closer to us each and every day. In Romans chapter 13, he says this beginning in verse 11. He says, And this do, knowing the time that is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. Closer and closer. Paul is going through his ministry and he's traveling about and he's writing these letters. He's, he's encouraging the brethren and he's telling them that salvation is, is closer now than when we believed. Verse 12, the night is almost gone and the day is at hand. Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, nor in sexual promiscuity, sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. Why? Because the day is getting closer and closer. The day is nearer than when we first believed, when we were first um, buried in baptism. Now it's becoming more and more close to us, and each and every day that passes, all the more closer. So for those of the first century, they were uh, introduced and, and, and drawn near, because our Lord says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But it gets even closer than that for us as we go forward. Paul, he realized this as, as his days were drawing to an end. I don't quote from the old King James very often, but I, I like the, what's said there, um, in a straight betwixt two. You know, Paul had this, this pull within himself um, about being in the world and, and preaching and, being, and, and, and ministering to those who needed him or leaving the world to go be with Christ. And it says that he was in a strait betwixt two. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, it says, For to me, uh, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart to be with Christ, for that is very much better Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. If he stayed on, he could continue to preach and teach, and that was good for those who would hear him, and that was pleasing to God. But if he were to die, his, his rest would be there for him. His, he'd, be, he'd be resting from his labors, and that was good for him. So he was in that, that, that uh, betwixt two, in that straight betwixt two. As he goes on and realizing that his time is, is, is truly drawing near, uh, he says this in 2 Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 6. He says, I am already uh, being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Paul realized that he's at the end of his life, and that there's nothing else out there for him except... The next life. Verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, 
but all those who have loved his appearing. Paul was getting close to the end of his life. He was getting nearer and nearer to that day of eternity. And he recognizes it. said, I could stay on here and, and keep preaching, and that's good for you, but if, if I leave, that's going to be great for me. And as he gets to the end of his life, he's ready to go. He says, I fought, I, I fought the good fight. I've done what God has asked of me, and, and my award waits for me. It's out there for me. It's, it's waiting for me. God is ready to welcome me home. Still closer and closer. For us, it's the same thing. It's closer for us, just like Paul said. It's closer today than when we first believed. As we progress, as we go on in our lives, that day gets closer and closer. In Revelation 22, as Paul is, uh, beg your pardon, John is closing out uh, his vision that he has, that the Lord has blessed him with, to, to see these things that are going on uh, in, in the realm of heaven. In verse 12 of chapter 22, our Lord speaking here, he says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they have the right to be through the tree of life, and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. I, Jesus, have set sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. Jesus uh, is saying here that he is the one, and he says, I am coming quickly. And I'm going to render every man according to what he has done. He says, I am the beginning and the end. I'm the one who, before the foundation of the world, was the one who would bring salvation to you. And now here it is. I have done that. I have brought salvation to you. And there's a time where he's going to come back. A time when he's going to come and, and sit in judgment of all those, everyone who has come before and everyone who will come from our life on. He's going to sit in judgment of all of us. Verse 18, so, uh, I beg your pardon, jump down to verse 20. It says, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Our God is, our Jesus has said that I am coming quickly. And look what John says. He says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. John was ready. John, he's an old man as he writes this, uh, this letter, this revelation. He's old, he's advanced in age. And he has this, the, this vision of, of heaven and, and he sees the glorified Christ. And the glorified Christ tells him that I am coming quickly. And John is not afraid of that. John does not plead with him to wait. John does not plead with him to give him more time. 
he says, yes, Lord, come. I'm ready, is what he is telling him. Do we have that attitude within ourselves? Are we ready for the Lord to return? I want to leave you with this. We spoke about this in our Bible class this morning. How the, the Bible, as it's the, the historical narrative, is bookended this way. In the garden, there was the tree of life. And that tree of life sustained, was there to sustain man. That's the relationship that God wanted. And God was, was in the midst of Adam and Eve. And that's the relationship that he wanted. And he gave them everything that they needed to, to maintain that relationship. The only thing he asked was they'd not eat of the certain tree, the knowledge of good and evil. But they did. And they were cast out of that relationship, both spiritually and physically. They were lost because the sin had come between them and God. And, and now they were cast out of the Garden of Eden and were no longer given access to the tree of life so that they could live forever. We come all the way to Revelation and we see the tree of life again. And there it is. Now it's in heaven. It reads this way. Revelation 22, beginning of verse 1. And he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were the healing of the nations. There shall no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it. And his bondservant shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. And there's that restoration of the relationship. To see the face of God, and to have our names on our foreheads so that God knows each one of us. He knows each one of us. That's what's meant by that, that relationship that we have with him to look upon the face of God, to be in his presence, to eat from the tree of life. Verse 5, And there shall no longer be any night, and they shall not have a need of the light or the lamp or the light of the sun, because God shall illumine them, and they shall reign forever and ever. We don't have need of the sun or of a lamp because the light from God illumines everything. And we get this look on the face of God, and he gets to look on our face. And the relationship is restored, and eternity is in our grasp. It's in our midst. We've been restored back to that relationship, and we'll reign there forever and ever. So the idea of heaven that was murky at first, the idea of spending eternity beholding the face of God is now fully expressed for us. We have the benefit of God's complete revelation showing us what it's going to be. Where we put off this, immortal, this mortality and put on immortality. We put off the perishable and put on the imperishable. And that we live forever and ever in the presence of God. What a blessing that is. We ought not to fear death. If we're a Christian, if we have um, 
remaining faithful to God. We're doing what he says, though doing the will of the Father, as Jesus says. We ought not to fear death. We ought to be like John. When the Lord says, I am coming quickly, John says, come, Lord Jesus. That needs to be our attitude as well. Heaven is a beautiful place that awaits us. Where God and Jesus is, their throne is there, the river is there that flows from that, the tree of life. What a beautiful scene it is. Let's do everything we can to make sure we get there. Let's do the will of God. Let's practice what he has told us to do. We'll be with him forever and ever to reign.